Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Dynamic's Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to talk about what's trending now. Ryan, what headlines have you been following lately? One of the big headlines that I've been following is this idea of waiving international patent protections for COVID-19 vaccines. And, you know, in short, the White House is weighing and deliberating whether to temporarily lift intellectually intellectual property protections on COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. And I'm no attorney, so I don't pretend to know all of the details around patent protection, but the move may allow other countries other than the United States and the UK to replicate these existing vaccines. And this suspension of intellectual property protections could apply to all medical technologies that treat COVID-19. And there are concerns on both sides of the fence on this. And, you know, I think arguments are valid depending on uh, who you're talking to, but Every step of the way through this through this crisis, I think the critics of the intellectual property rights have called for the suspension, saying that it would thwart research and development and make vaccines and treatments unaffordable. The other side of the fence is these protection rights actually are really crucial to finding quick, rapid cures for diseases, um, and you know arguments like they promote trust that there actually is better knowledge sharing and collaboration when IPRs exist, when intellectual property rights exist. And, you know, these calls for the suspension of these rights to, you know, really keep prices low, which is a valid and a, a, a well-intended reason and apply the supply shortages, you know, may be short-sighted, right? Because what I think advocates of suspending these rights are saying is that they are a monopoly. Um, and the other side of the fence is they actually drive competition and, and result in competing medicines. And we are seeing five or six different vaccines going through the process and creating a decently um, non-monopolized COVID-19 vaccine market. So anyway, we'll see how this plays out. I think that um, it's a very polarizing debate in the life sciences provider global health marketplace. And, you know, each each side of the fence claims that there's no evidence that either removing or keeping the IPRs will achieve more licensing agreements. It's been interesting to see how some of the EU countries have weighed in on this as well. Um, we're, they're really encouraging right, the United States to focus on not worrying about the waiver, right, and really focus on increasing supply um, to and capacity, right, by freeing up supply chains and exporting vaccines to other countries because we need to worry about what's going on right now versus long term. When you think about whether a waiver would actually work, there's an aspect of just time horizon that you know, probably isn't necessarily accounted for is that it's going to take a while to make any sort of waiver like that actually happen. And um, by the time it does happen, will it really have a, a benefit to anybody? And is there a greater benefit, right, in allowing companies like Pfizer and Moderna to continue to source all the raw materials that they need to create vaccines and then have 
countries like the U.S. be sharing vaccine units that are available to other countries. And the other interesting piece, I thought that that um, some of the pharma manufacturers that are are producing vaccines right now um, tapped into was just the scarcity of raw materials, right? To produce vaccines is already causing that bottlenecks in production. And so if you start to waive these patent protections, it's only going to exacerbate the problem by diffusing, right, where raw materials end up. So to your point, I think there's, there's uh, arguments on both sides that are valid on whether you do or don't. Um, long term, I think, you know, life sciences companies would look at this and say, if you waive our patent protections, it's also going to impact the monies that we invest in innovation. And as we have seen in COVID, it was really, really important to have companies that had deep pockets and were willing to take a plunge into developing vaccines really quickly to address this humanitarian crisis that we were facing. In addition to what has been on Ryan's mind, I mean, there would be no trending news if we didn't talk a little bit about what's going on with telehealth since it's been so quickly accelerated, right, as a result of COVID. Um, just this past week, we saw Walmart jump into the fray and announce an acquisition of telehealth company MeMD. Uh, we also saw Amazon Care signed its first customer um, for their telehealth services. And so I think what we're seeing is just this continued flurry of investment and movement in the telehealth space. Um, companies that are in the space are really flush with cash and they're making a ton of moves to try to position themselves correctly, right, to win in this space. Some of the, the adoption of telehealth or the visits have come back down to earth to a certain degree, but they're still pretty high. Um, and I think there is reason to believe, right, that with all this money flowing into telehealth solutions, that um, we are going to continue to see a push towards this type of adoption as a channel of care. For years, we have heard rumors and read articles about Walmart getting into kind of the retail health world. And for a long time, they kept it within their enormous employee base. And they opened up their first freestanding clinic in Georgia not too long ago, actually, a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And now they're expanding clearly into this space uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of refined, thoughtful way. And this, and this acquisition is proof of that. Amazon is certainly not sitting by idly while Walmart is announcing this news. We've seen them make huge growth recently in their healthcare business with Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon Care having huge announcements over the last few years. Business Insider reported, you know, earlier that um, Amazon is planning a new diagnostics brand to complete their, you know, trifecta of healthcare units in the space where they'd be offering at-home medical tests for, you know, COVID-19 to start, but even things like sexually transmitted infections and clinical genomics. And it's not surprising, right? Like we've talked before about Amazon's approach to industries has been, they chip away and chip away, right? And before you knew it, know it, they've encircled an industry. Um, so I think their patience and persistence kind of is starting to show itself in just the way that they are rolling out in a very paced way, a series of, um, really a series of services and solutions and products, right? That just start to, to really 
chip away at the edges of the healthcare system. The other thing we're seeing, obviously, is that as more money flows into telehealth companies is that they are arming themselves with really strong lobbying groups to ensure that policy is being set at a national level that supports right the growth of telehealth. And I think it's anything from, from coming up with sets of standards that have to be adhered to, to obviously driving a more permanent reimbursement parity uh, that right now it has been temporarily lifted due to the emergency declaration. Uh, but I think that these telehealth companies would definitely like to see um, some, some legislation that really sets into place some permanent um, policy around how reimbursement's going to occur and continue to occur. I think telehealth was a really, or the telehealth revolution we've seen in the last year was a really um, solid appetizer or entree into this hospital at home idea. I think what's really interesting about hospitals at home, it's like taking home health to the next level. And it's this idea of really increasing traditional hospital capacity. We, we see this often across the nation. Hospitals are at or past their capacity. And frankly, they, they haven't um, staffed or budgeted for that capacity in a long time. And um, that won't change as hospitals consolidate. So this idea of hospitals at home or this idea of kind of decentralizing um, acute patient care outside of the walls of the hospital um, is really gaining traction, as you mentioned. And there's new temporary moves and rules at CMS that happened prior to this new administration. But perhaps more importantly, the Mayo Clinic and Kaiser Permanente, huge healthcare companies, um, just announced that they're investing $100 million into this home acute care company called Medically Home. And these models have been gaining steam, as I mentioned over the years, as CMS has kind of opened the door up. And as health systems have understood the, the need and desire, again, to bring care to where patients are. But this idea of hospital homes takes it to another level altogether. And this did, the acceleration of all this digital health um, stuff that we've talked about really did pave the way for this to work. And, and we're, we're seeing a lot of entrants trying to address hospital at home. And now we're seeing Kaiser, the Mayo Clinic, and this medically home company put some money where their mouths are and, and really invest into this. I'm so fascinated by this, Ryan, because I, I think it makes sense when you think about the concept the execution is going to be what's interesting to me, especially when I think about individuals that may live by themselves, right? And like, does it really look and feel like a hospital in your home? Or is there going to be a need for a care partner, loved one, a friend, somebody to also be present in order to pull through on some of these services? If you think about our knowledge of home infusion, right, for oncology patients or for folks that have infections, when you get, you know, discharged from a hospital and go into home infusion programs, I think there is a known gap that exists. If you live at home or you don't have the support of a loved one, yes, there are home infusion or home care nurses that come and help you infuse in or supply your medication. But if you don't have a loved one or a caretaker or someone at home, as a support, it makes it all the more difficult to be compliant. And so this hospital at home, as we've mentioned, takes it to another level. And that gap is definitely gonna need to be addressed. 
As always, Mindy and Ryan, things are happening so quickly in the healthcare industry that there's really no shortage of information and interesting stories to discuss. So I can't wait to talk about what's trending news with you both next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.